Hello and welcome once again to Big Boss Battles, Big Boss Babble. A slightly reduced lineup this week. We have with us Mr. Dan. Hello. We have from the United States of America, it's George. Hello. And our cousin from Down Under, it's Toby. G'day. Hey, we're all here again. Well, actually, we're not. We're missing people. But never mind, we'll crack on anyway. So, who's been playing some fun stuff this week? What's been going on? Dan? I've played a little bit of Mid Nid Nidhog? Nidhog 2, and I've also played some Observer. I don't know how you're quite meant to pronounce that, because it's got the little chevron at the start, and then the, well, not the chevron, the pointy arrow, the less than less than observer underscore yes i've, I've been playing which That's stars rutger how i can't say that either the, the actor rutger how who really didn't seem like he wanted to be there although it was an interesting it was an interesting game uh that's it there we go uh and I haven't played any of the Bloober games before, uh, and I don't really like being led down dark corridors and made to look at things before they go, Ugh! but that game does kind of do that. Although the magic does wear off a little bit when they they actually killed me in the game. Uh, there's this weird thing that follows you and starts kind of trying to kill you uh, in one of the early dream sequences. And the second that happened, all of a sudden, all of the magic and fear was completely shattered. And I was just laughing at everything instead, which I don't think was intended. Uh, but that's what I've been playing. I've been playing Cat Quest. I love Cat Quest. I can't say that enough. Meow, it's a great game. <laughs> See, I don't even know what this is, so I'm going to have to look it up. It's an open world RPG. It's adorable. It's cute. It's super simple Aww. to play. It's uh, isometric, isn't it? I mean, what I liked is the way that you kind of you're 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 this big character in the open world, just going around decking people, and then right, you're yeah. exactly the same, the same it's, size when you go into the dungeons and do the same stuff. Right, yeah, it's like you're traveling across the world map you'd normally see in an RPG where you'd enter a town or something like that. But in this case, it's the entire game, and it's really fun. It's really neat. It's it, it beat it in about nine hours, and I'm gonna be reviewing it very soon. <laughs> How about you, Toby? What have you been playing? Played some GTA the other day. Still Which one? Strong on online. Five oh, online. Ah, five more. Online. Who knows what it is anymore? <laughs> I, I thought you played Phantom Trigger and you didn't like it. Yes, I played that as well. I don't really know. It's like it's a. It looked interesting it looks, when I checked it out. Yeah, yeah, it looks really interesting. I was like really excited for it, and it's bland and unconfusing. It's just go through these levels and hit things, but we don't know what weapon does what. Why does this one do more damage than the other? What's that use? Does this weapon do damage? Who knows? Not me. Was the combat unsatisfying? Yes. Confusing. Very confusing. I have yet to check out the final release version, so I think I'll probably need to check that out now. Mm. Excellent. And uh, as for me, this mo this week, um, I'll probably talk about more about one of the games later, but I've, I've been uh, teaching my son the uh, wonders of Rimworld this week, and he's picked it up quite quickly, quicker than I did certainly. And uh, he's he's enjoying himself on that. He's he's become quite addicted to that now. And uh, yeah, of course, I'll, like I said, I'll speak about it more later. But I've been playing Sonic Mania this week, which is absolutely glorious. Any any more murderous cats? <laughs> <laughs> Not on this occasion. Anyway, let's 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 move on. First topic this week is the physical versions of pokemon gold and silver for the 3ds because it's a virtual console kind of kind of jobber um there's they're giving out well you can buy physical versions but all that is in the box is a download code what is the point in that it is a bit odd selling a version a physical version of a game that has a digital version inside it because those digital versions are now available on the storefront at the same time and basically the same price as the uh, physical version of the game so the majority of people who are buying physical versions are either doing it for gifting because they haven't got stable enough internet to warrant downloading it on download or because they want to buy a physical collector's edition because they still value the kind of fluff and, and piff and waffle that you get with 
buying a physical edition of of the game so so to open it up and there to just be a little code on a little slip of paper probably is is a little bit shattering to definitely the latter if not all three of those groups of people so someone want to fill me in on this story what exactly is going on well it's, it's literally as i said it so pokemon gold and pokemon silver are being released on the 3ds virtual console but they are releasing physical versions that you buy in a 3DS box. But all that is in the box is a code to download it from the virtual console. There's no cartridge. There's no nothing in there. It's just a download code. Is there like a sticker or something? Anything in the box? To be honest, from what I've read, nothing. It's just a 3DS box that you open it up and there's a code inside the box. Pokemon fans are weird. Uh, They'll buy anything with Pokemon related to it. I'm not surprised. It's it's just Pokemon, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can understand from a certain perspective that collectors like to have those, you know, their, their collections out on their shelf and, and things like that. Maybe. I mean, if it was exactly the same price, why not? I mean, the end result is going to be the same, plus you've got a box. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it does seem a bit odd i mean i mean even even like dan was saying the point of giving it maybe as a, as a gift for a child is still i don't know I'd, I'd be a bit disappointed if i got this box and then just had a download code <laughs> yeah it's like uh what's the been the reaction to it so far has it been positive has it been negative it's it's mainly negative to be honest it just seems a, a bit pointless i mean the, i mean the, i suppose the good thing about it is they're not charging any more for it in a physical version and uh, than the digital download version. So I suppose if you buy it physically, you are getting more, even if it is just an empty box. Yeah, you get cardboard. Yeah. Use the box or something. You could. The first, the first release of it was on the Game Boy, wasn't it? Wasn't this the... Yeah, it was the... It basically, it's, it's, it's second gen, yeah. It was the second yeah, yeah. gen for... Well, it, it worked on the Game Boy, but it was technically Game Boy Color as well. So many people will be buying it to get access to certain Pokemon that only occurred in that or other ones or just to experience a different part of the story yeah well the the thing is i mean if you if you've not kept sorry no i played one i played sorry sorry i just had a sudden realization i played one of these did they re-release them on the 3ds heart gold heart gold and soul silver yeah i played they're the remakes yeah yeah oh fine (laughs) i don't know (laughs) but this is now the virtual virtual versions of the original versions but if if you've not kept up, kept up with this, there's now a thing called Pokemon Bank, which is an online service that you can transfer your Pokemon to to save them. But it works cross games, and they're introducing this Pokemon Bank system into the older games. So even the the new versions of Pokemon Red and Blue, the original games, have this Pokemon Bank built into it now. So you can transfer games from the original Pokemon straight into Sun and Moon if you want to. That's cool. Which is, which is is a conical feature. I mean, it's going slightly off the point of the physical version, but it's it's still a good little feature to have in there because now now you can literally you know cross multiple generations. I mean, there are ways of getting game. You know, but previously you had to go back and have the original hardware for all of them, and you could gradually go through all the games and trade up and get them to the latest version. But now you can just do it through the Pokemon Bank, which is is quite a handy little feature. Pokemon Bank, when they first launched that, that cost. Does it still cost? Um, I don't know. I think it might still cost, but it's not much, to be honest. When Heart Gold came out and whatever one came out after that, which I think was Black or possibly... I can't remember. Either way, I, I played a couple of generations in a row, actually. Uh, most of the ones that launched on the DS and 3DS, uh, stopping near the end. Just after they added in Ultra Mega Super Digimon Evolutions. But the thing the Pokemon Bank brought to mind was the fact that by allowing that, they could simply concentrate on making new regions that didn't feature previously used Pokemon. Whereas it yep. was almost like they had a they had to use some of the previous Pokemon in the new generations in order to promote trading. I.e. you can't not have a Charmander in you know, four generations in a row because otherwise it's impossible for people to get hold of them when the consoles swap. So so the bank then allows people to, you know, it allows them to not have to have that in there once every three or four goes. Yeah. But it also, it, it, it 
and we are sort of deviating from the point now, but never mind. It also brings up the fact that they, from a law perspective, they don't have to come up with reasons as to why all these old specific region Pokemons are now in a different region. Or, like, I think, for example, in Gold and Silver, uh, you could complete the game. I think it's the. I can't remember what the bloody reasons are now, but you completed the game, and then once you finished the game, you went back to the region of the first game, and that then enabled you to get all the original region's Pokemon. If they're now doing the bank thing, they don't have to do that. They can just go, here's the new region, here's the new Pokemon. If you want the old ones, transfer them from your old game. They don't have to come up with weird lore to be able to do it. Plus, the fact, I mean, it must be getting ridiculous for them to fit it all in. Because there's all, there's over 750 Pokemon now. To put all of those into a single game is getting a, a bit crazy. But to bring it back to the point, yes, they're selling an empty cardboard box with a code in it, and that's kind of silly. <laughs> I, I mean, Pokemon fans are great. I love Pokemon fans. I was a Pokemon fan, but uh, it seems very odd that they're just selling an empty box with a code in it. Yeah, I mean, it's not the first. I mean, this is the first time Nintendo's done it. It has been done before. I mean, slightly differently, like Metal Gear Solid Five on PC. You bought the physical box, it came with a disc, everything looked like it was golden. What was on that disc? A Steam installer. That was all that was on there. In the box was a code for Steam and a disc with the Steam installer program on it. The game wasn't on the disc. <laughs> and there's also been... There's also been special editions of games, you know, like the big, you know, here's a statue and here's a fingernail of the main character and here's a map of the, a map of <laughs> a the guy's, is a map of the protagonist's bathroom and whatever else that you get in the in in a thing. But you know, you've got all this cool stuff, but not the game. So it, from the sounds of it, it sounds like you are against buying special editions of things. I'm just well, no, gathering no, that. No, I'm just, just making up stuff. I, I like the look of special edition things, but I don't often see the point of the, the price of them because I think they're usually quite ridiculous for what you get. But if you own the fingernail, you can clone the person. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true, you see, but I've not as yet seen a special edition with a legitimate fingernail in it. Fake ones, perhaps, but never a legitimate one. <laughs> But anyway, let's let's move on. Actually, that last point come, takes us on to our next uh, topic, which is the general price of games these days. Yes, yes, yes. And that would be my subject. That's yeah. what I brought in today. Go ahead, George. So a recent article, uh, let's see who posted it. It was Polygon, uh, basically talking about how games or, games or developers don't necessarily know how to price their games. Basically what happened was is that... Um, with games like Sonic Mania, which we're talking about a little bit later, being uh, $20 and being very successful. Uh, what was the other one? It was Hellblade being what? It was It was very cheap. Everyone thought it was $29.99 for US. Uh, but basically the point is, is that you know these games are really good. They're doing very successful. They're doing a lot of sales. But they're vastly underpriced, according to Steam Spy. Uh, they've basically been kind of looking around and noticing that people are charging way less than they should they're charging way less than they should be for their games uh 33 discount basically when the game first comes out is just killing a lot of sales and basically pointing to the fact that maybe developers don't know how to price their own games there's no real market research for this and people without sounding really silly people who spend money on games are always going to complain that games are too expensive except for when they're too cheap so like when i was working in the working in the shops working in retail we'd get people coming in and complaining about prices all the time now obviously we were actually quite expensive especially compared to selling online and compared to the pc storefront the digital pc storefront which is actually cheaper still than the pc physical versions which were cheaper still than the console physical versions so you know, physical stores didn't really stand a chance. But now that that's out of the way, and now that in many ways publishers are out of the way as well, uh, notably all of the examples that have been given are, you know, self-publishing indies or indie publishers who have arrived on the scene recently, or self-publishing publishers like Sega, for instance. There is no real classification of what's a good price and what's not. It's personal. I mean, if I'm really excited for a game and it comes out, at $29.99, I may well buy that anyway. If it's a little bit more, I'll probably hesitate. My 
golden price really where i will almost instantly buy it if i'm interested in it is about 7.99 or 9.99 but obviously i play a lot of indie games i don't buy a lot of triple a games and so i'm probably a bad a bad person to to price games like that on yeah well we've been seeing a lot of publishers entering the indie field as well and prices haven't really changed all that much have they it depends i mean in in stores which is probably what I'm strongest at talking about. When the new generation started, all of a sudden the the physical prices crept all the way up from what is normally thirty nine ninety nine in the UK up to fifty nine ninety nine. And for a while, everything launched there, unless it was budget, unless it would have been you know launched at at twenty pounds over here. It was launching for thirty five or forty over here. So that naturally pushed things up because of the new generation. I don't know if that's dropped now, actually, but it was, it certainly went on for longer than it did with the previous console generation. So, But I think that was a case of charging more because something was new, and that doesn't translate across to PC. And I I mean, is, is, is the reason Sonic Mania's included in this? Because it released cheap on consoles as well? Or, I mean, I, I assume the, the, the gist of this topic is is on the PC front. Um, yeah, it's basically the PC front because it's from Steam Spy mostly. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there, there definitely isn't a sweet spot when it comes to pricing games. I recently bought Kickmen, and I think that launched for, I think it was less than £3.99, which is ridiculous. I would have bought that at 6 99 You know, I would have bought that probably at 9 99 I would have said, from what I had seen. But it, it all depends on hype levels. And as, as marketeers and developers and publishers are having to rapidly adapt how they pitch and market games. There's no real way of seeing how many people are actually interested in it. I, I follow a lot of devs on Twitter and they go like, oh, the, the, the wish list is amazing now. There are so many people with my game on the wish list or so many people following it. And then about a week after launch, they go, how am I meant to convert all of these people from my wish list into buying my game what is wrong and th that could be many things that could be price that could be people just simply automatically deleted the email that steam sent them telling them it was out it might be that they haven't been on for various reasons i i think this is a direct reaction to people not understanding how to communicate with their audience at the minute because of the rapid changes that we've gone through with publishing and digital marketplaces so in general you do think that indie games are underpriced and what, what do you think about triple game triple a games are they too are they too pricey i think the i think triple a games i think really what with the fact that i don't know i think the terms triple a and indie really are, are gonna have to die soon because of the the caliber of games that are coming out of both both sides it's it's really down to team sizes now i mean when uh kingdom comes uh kingdom come deliverance i'm sure i've got that wrong when that eventually comes out you know, I will gladly pay full price for that. In my mind, that is like a triple A game of old, you know. But even if FIFA came out at 20 quid or the new Call of Duty came out at 20 quid, I'm probably not going to drop money on it. And and that's that's not an aversion to triple A or an aversion to triple A pricing. It's just I don't like those games. So I can't really can't really compare. Uh, I don't think I've bought any big blockbuster for, for some time now, to be honest with you. And I think that's just my taste in tasting games so so maybe it's best that someone else uh, takes the floor on this one yeah well, i mean to give my opinions on this i mean i i think it's prices are coming down generally in across the board i think and i i think it's for multiple reasons one is that indie games are getting uh, much more high profile now and they're put they're putting out experiences that a lot of the time are at the same level or higher than a lot of AAA titles, and they're selling them for a lot less money. So that I think that's forcing the AAA games to come down. And obviously, because because we see, you know, even if a game does come out, you're going to get the is it works on the same thing. They've always done it. You'll have the early adopters that will pay sixty quid for it, and then literally within a couple of weeks, it will go down to forty, and then steadily drop off. Right? They'll get the early adopters, and then they don't really care. But I think there's multiple reasons. I think so. You've got the indie the indies are very good, which is forcing the triple A's to come down. But I've also got the fact that digital distribution is cheaper, and I think now developers and publishers are actually getting to the point now where they're going, well, you know what? Maybe we can pass those savings on to the user. 
whereas before they never used to do that. It was just, I mean, the PlayStation Store is probably a prime example where the games are the same price whether you buy it physically or digitally which and i know the reasons behind it and it's because of retailers um basically forcing them to keep the prices that high because then it obviously undercuts the retailers and they'll get even less sales than they already do which is a problem that that basically i think manufacturers game developers and publishers almost need to cut off retail now it's getting to the point where they don't really need them anymore and then it it will just it will make current consumers more happy because the games will be cheaper. And I also think that almost that argument that all you know the piracy argument. I don't buy games because they're too expensive. I think it's it's almost starting to hit home now. It's like well maybe they are. We can now save money just doing this stuff digitally. Maybe if we pass them on, people will buy games more. And it's 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 almost 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 coming all all, all coming together again now. Developers are getting it. Users are now happy because the games are cheaper, and it's it's just getting to that point where you know it's almost a a universal, universally better place now for everyone. So you think the prices are just about right, or you think they're too low? No, I th- I, th- I think they're right, and I, I and to be honest, I can see games actually getting even cheaper from the AAA side of things. But the indie stuff is fair enough. I mean, like Dan said, with Kickmen. Kickman wasn't even marketed. I don't think he would have been able to put it out for a tenner. Maybe you would have got a lot of people that followed the, the Twitter storm that happened when he was developing it. But that, you know, that worked as its own marketing. Apart from that, there wasn't really any marketing around that game. So it couldn't really be pushed out at much more. And I think, you know, now with, now with the internet, you don't, you, a lot of developers don't even have to go out and market themselves that much because word of mouth works so quickly now. If you, can get the, if you can get your game to one big YouTuber, you'll get yourself 250,000 sales. Just from that one thing. Although some people uh, have reported, I've seen a lot of people saying that they they got it on the biggest YouTuber and they saw a dozen sales come out of it because some 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 people just don't have an audience that bites like that, and so that is you know somewhat unreliable. On the subject of what you said about launching an OPR, did you see that Mike Biffle, formerly of Bossa Games and now of Mike Biffle Games or Biffle Games? The guy who did Thomas was alone and volume uh, just completely flash launched a game. I was on the way back from work and he put up a tweet saying, uh, I just wanted to test something out. So in five minutes, we're launching our game with no marketing. And then five minutes later, it launched. And that I, I watched the retweets on his tweet climb up and up and up and up. The The obvious question is how many people are on Twitter that will engage with that? Is that just a bubble? Are you just being retweeted by game developers? And I suppose we won't know until he starts talking about sales. But uh, yeah, but yeah, marketing in this day and age is an odd thing. Well, uh, to wrap to wrap up, the reason I found this article so interesting is because I, I do think it's it's I do think indie developers might not be charging enough. To be honest with you, uh, there's there's a lot of saturation, like you brought up in the chat, Dan. Um, there's a lot of games on Steam that are just flooding the market, uh, but there's also been a backlash when developers have you know try to ch- charge more or when they tried to change their prices like arc did they tried to change the price and everybody lost their collective minds so i do think there there is a little bit of um i don't, I don't think prices when it comes to indie developers with triple a they do need to come down but when it comes to indie developers i do think some of them do kind of undersell their games you know for god's sakes what we do at the website we, we review games that probably a lot of people haven't heard of and they're all fantastic. They're all amazing. And they, they don't, sometimes I don't think they're always charging enough. And I think that's why I was kind of interested about this article the most is it was really kind of interesting to me. Yep, definitely uh, something that will probably come up again in the future because it's something that's always going to be on the cards. Anyway, next up is me talking about my favorite game at the moment. And that is, of course, Sonic Mania. Everyone's heard the hype. And I'm just going to go out and say that, yes, the, the hype is real. This is the Sonic game that we've been waiting for for 20 years and thank god it wasn't sonic team that made it this is basically the greatest rom hack (laughs) that you could you could ever ask for and it was made by obviously some of the greatest members of the of the sonic rom hacking community in pagoda west and uh, christian whitehead who headed up some i think pagoda pagoda west games were doing the sonic hd remaster before that got shut down and um obviously christian whitehead built an entirely new sonic engine made sonic one run on it showed it to sega and they went 
yeah, okay, we'll release that on iPhone and Android. So he got in the door that way. So I think I think it was good that Sonic, that, that Sega have just, have just gone, we don't know what we're doing anymore. Have Sonic make the game that everyone loves. And they have. They've they've placed it in the right place as well. They've basically gone, Sonic 4 didn't happen. Forget about that. Forget the 3D games. This is a sequel to Sonic and Knuckles. And the the, the storyline behind it is is basically that, you know, Eggman slash Robotnik has come along and it's not the Chaos Emeralds generally this time, it's Time Crystals, which you may remember from Sonic CD, but he's captured all the Time Crystals and that gives them free reign to to dump in all these old levels. So the, the opening of the game starts out exactly the same as, as Sonic 3. You're coming in in the Sonic Flyer, you land, you see Dr. Robotnik pull one of these Time Crystals out of the ground, all goes a bit wibbly wobbly timey wimey and you end up in green hill zone from the first game and uh and it, yeah it just carries on from there they muck around with time to give you know that that framework that they can bring in these old levels so you start in green hill zone and what they've done to the the levels is absolutely amazing so you start in green hill zone and the entire pretty much the entirety of act one of green hill zone from the original sonic game is there but when you get to the end of that level it's not the end of the level in Sonic Mania. It segues seamlessly into the beginning of Act 2, and then it goes crazy. They start implementing new mechanics. So there's zip lines in Green Hill Zone, and there's different pipes that work in different ways, and, and it all starts going crazy, and they've implemented the new drop dash. So you know, where you can, you can push down on the D-pad and then hammer the button to speed up you can now do that in mid-air so you just hold jump you start spinning in mid-air and as soon as you land you zip off and they've also got like power-ups from sonic 3 but in the original green hill zone so you can get the fire shield in green hill and it's it's absolutely amazing and the bosses are some of the most uh inventive bosses i've ever seen uh i want to say about the the second world boss which is chemical plant zone again from a, a redone from sonic 2 um but i'm not sure if i can if i should uh spoiler it or not i'll give it a spoiler warning right so spoiler warning there we go if if you're still listening now you can't blame me right so chemical plant zone again from sonic 2 again act one very similar to the first level and then it introduces all these new mechanics such as there's um uh oh what are they called syringes that you, you jump on and they push your stuff into a water and it makes it all jellified and you can bounce on it and uh, there's new kind of pipes where you can choose which direction you go when you when you get to them but at the end you're in one of these pipes and it dumps you down into this little machine and dr robotnik's in a little window next to you and it's basically dr robotnik's mean bean machine which is um, oh wow <laughs> so and you you play one round of dr robotnik's mean bean machine against robotnik and that's how you beat that particular boss if you win you he he blows up and it gets out and then you you drop out of a pipe and i when, when cool. i saw that i was like that's the greatest thing i've ever seen and there's loads of little little things in 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 different levels you know little little shout outs to different games like uh, the, I think the fifth world boss there's loads of sound effects from shinobi in it um there's references to daytona usa in studio studiopolis zone there's little vans that say hornet on them and you know they, they send you around via radio waves and there's a a lottery machine that you go in and it's a, like gallop lottery from daytona as well and yeah it's it's a pure love letter to sonic it's by the fans for the fans and it's i think exactly what sonic fans have wanted for 20 years and that's why it's been received so well when i played it earlier on in the year i noticed that it still followed what i consider the the real kind of perk or the real benefit or the the good bit of the sonics that i grew up playing which is there's kind of multiple routes through the game I played yeah. the Studiopolis level, uh, I think, probably at two different events. And the first time I played it, it didn't really click. I was annoyed. It reminded me of why I hated Sonic. You know, I kind of missed a jump and then I landed something. And then the game was almost like, you're going too slow. No, no, no. You know, uh, as, as Sonic regularly <laughs> did to me. You can't get around this loop-de-loop. -loop, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but then when I started the level from scratch... I made a jump, tried a different route, and found it all a lot easier. Uh, the the pace was different. And so it really felt the Studiopolis zone. 
like it was something that the third or fourth or fifth time that you played it, you could memorize those little shortcuts again. You could get good at the game through repeating playing the game. Whereas I think every Sonic that I've played since Sonic Chaos, showing my age, uh, has made me feel like nope you've just got to bloody wing it just go as fast as you can and just hit jump maybe maybe to the beat of living la vida loca and you'll get all the way through the level and it will be brilliant in high school mate i mean that's that's the point with this is that uh one, one of the bigger complaints about the original sonic games was you know when they marketed it it was just you know this is what they 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 went oh blast processing blah 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 really fast and they showed off green hill zone and it's it's super speedy and all that kind of stuff but then you hit something like labyrinth zone in the original game and the the pace just slowed right down you had to be very cool calm and collected now on this new one they've They've kind of kept that speed going, no matter what world you're in. Even if you're in a water world, there's there's fast areas in the game. There's not a lot of times where you have to, you know, really slow your pace down and do careful little jumps. It's, it really keeps the pace up a, a lot of the time, and it it works. I mean, like you say, you know, you know, you just hold, you know, hold right and press jump a few times. It's it's not that simple because you're going to be going super fast in both directions in a lot of the levels but the pace is is kept way up there a lot more than the the older games but i think people have accepted that more because they were always the level that people people remembered better they liked the ones where there was that speed and it was just you know 90 miles an hour all the time and i have i have three questions yep. i have three questions one uh is there water levels <laughs> um I mean, there are water parts. I mean, for example, like like I say, they've remixed original levels. So there's even water sections in the in the Green Hill Zone right at the beginning of the game. Not big ones, but there are sections where you you can go underwater. Because like Dan was saying, in the old you know some of the old games where you know there might be a top route or a bottom route. There's so many more routes now, and especially considering you've got you've got Sonic Tails and Knuckles right from the outset, so you can play as Knuckles. There are places where you can only get to as Knuckles because he can climb walls. So there'll be a jump that Sonic can't get to, but Knuckles can. But pure water levels, if there is, I haven't got to them yet. I've got stuck on a particular boss, which is so random and it's actually quite annoying me. Um, is a I think I can't remember what level it is, but it's it's uh, you meet up with Metal Sonic, and oh, it's the end of uh, Stardust Speedway because that's from Sonic CD that they've put in there. And it's metal, it's metal Sonic, but now he's Metal Sonic's made his own robot Sonic. So it's kind of a weird Inception thing. I think he's called Hyper Sonic, <laughs> uh, and yeah, you, you have to wait for him to go into a ball and then try and bounce him like a pinball into Metal Sonic at the top. And it's extremely random and very tricky to pull off. And I haven't managed to get past it yet. But I, I would imagine there is a water level in the game. I haven't even looked at the list of levels yet. I I don't. I haven't watched videos. I don't want to. It's one of those games where I just want to experience it myself well now i'm curious if you turn into a werehog or end up making out with a human chick in the middle of the game <laughs> no there's none of that random stuff that's what i mean this is this is pure old school sonic no gimmicks it sounds fantastic it sounds like they did a lot of fan service and they gave the people finally what they wanted yeah uh, it sounds like they also took a lot of good ideas from a lot of other sonic games that kind of slammed them into one game from the sounds of it it sounds really cool yeah that's what i mean it is you know like i said it's it is literally made by by fans of the game in the first place and it is kind of a, a best of with additional stuff as well so it's fantastic and and there's there's easily a lot of mileage for them to carry on this series and i can imagine you know this this, this has done very well and i can imagine them carrying it on and doing more because they've got so much extra stuff they can pull from like uh, what do you mean by like extra stuff they can pull? What do you mean? Well, like I said, you know they've pulled in Green Hill Zone from Sonic One, and they've pulled in uh, Chemical Plant Zone from Sonic Two, and Stardust Speedway from Sonic CD. There's so many other worlds that they could still, still remake and uh, put gotcha. in extra games. I mean, there's, I mean, and obviously they I mean, I've played through, I think, three completely new zones as well that are completely new to the game. So if they kept that going, they could easily probably get up to four or five games before they run out of stuff to steal. <laughs> I mean, that that's the question. I'm going to jump to, to Sega's defense here. Um, it, it, that's the question. Would Will people just keep playing the same thing over again? I mean, isn't there eventually you have to have some sort of innovation, some new ideas brought it, in? It depends. Look at the new Super Mario Brothers series. There's been seven of them. They're all pretty much the same. But people will still buy them. 
because sometimes you hit that that point this is like this is how this game should be obviously people want to at this point i think now they've seen sonic mania people want to kind of put the 3d sonics completely aside pretend they don't exist and they want to play 2d sonic and i think there is a lot of mileage there so you think they've hit like you think they've hit the right formula with this sonic and they should just keep it that way but it was kind of what you're saying yeah, because, I mean, this this does feel like a natural extension. This feels like, okay, Sonic 1, Sonic 2, Sonic 3, Sonic & Knuckles, Sonic Mania. Like, if, if this had come out, say, 18 years ago on the 32X, it would it would fit perfectly. It's a, it's a perfect extension. The fact we've had to wait 20 years for it is a bit annoying, but it's, it is a true sequel that people so have wanted. Cor- correcting the timelines, then. Yeah, basically. It's- it's fallen out of time and it's it's suddenly appeared here and everyone's happy and yeah and that's what i mean the storyline kind of plays with it they they play it plays with the fact that you know time is broken and they're and and you're getting shoved around all these different worlds from different time periods i heard that sonic generations went down quite well that had 3d and 2d bits mixed in yeah and and to be honest if you if if you read about sonic forces um you will see i mean you know furry fan art pandering aside um that apparently forces is um gonna be a lot concentrating a lot more on the 2d side of the of the coin rather than the 3d um you know in generations you had new sonic which was straightforward super speed and then you had classic sonic which was 2d apparently classic sonic's gonna make be a much bigger part of forces simply because people want 2d sonic 3d sonic didn't work and it hasn't worked for years there's been a couple of okay games in there but nothing's been as good as the 2d game so they're they're, they are pushing forward in the right direction and i think i think now with this they need to they need to really do split this off so you've got Sonic Team making the 3D or the newer games and then just let Christian Whitehead and Pagoda Games take Sonic Mania and just ride that train until it... I, I don't care. They can milk it for as long as they want as far as I'm concerned because I'll, I'll play that till the end of time. Is it two-player? Like, can you play Tails? Yes, you can do a two-player uh, mode uh, exactly like you could in Sonic 2. So split screen with one player controlling one and one... And, and you can choose between all three characters now because of Sonic Knuckles and Tails. All right, I'm sold. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> Excellent. And on that note, let's let's move on. I think this one's for you, George. It's the, it's the conversation about the game of the year. Well, yeah, I mean, it's what it's 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 uh, August. We're heading into September soon here. It's getting around that time, guys. We've had quite a few games come out this year. I thought it'd be a good time to start discussing these kinds of things. What do you guys think? Is going to be game of the year. Sonic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, that's possible, right? I mean, anything's possible. A lot of people have been pointing towards uh, PUBG for game of the year. Yes. Yep. And um, you know, there's but the question still stands. Hey, that's an early access game. Technically, it's not even released yet. Should that game count? And uh, I thought it'd be an interesting thing to discuss. Well, I suppose if PUBG actually does get a full release before the end of the year, it will count. But what if it doesn't? Well, if it doesn't, then I don't think it should count. <laughs> Even at this point, the market movement it's made, that it is, it's basically taken its genre and taken it to the maximum already. Shouldn't we already recognize that? It's like, well done, really. So, okay, so I just want to get straight. Toby says it should get that recognition. Yes. And, okay. Yes, sorry. I, 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 what about you, Dan? Uh, I don't know, because I've played so many games, and I feel like I'm out of time. It's like, I know that the Hitman Complete Edition launched at the start of the year, although I voted Hitman as my game of the year last year. Uh, I can't really do it again, or or can I? Uh, And I think a lot of people will still be talking about Resident Evil 7. Uh, That launched at the very start of the year. Uh, a lot of other stuff's launched as well. I don't uh, know though. See, Resident Evil Seven, it sort of it it burst out of the gate and then just kind of disappeared very quickly. It didn't hang around very long. 
it was quite a rich it was a strong start to the year though wasn't it yeah it, it burnt itself out really quickly and I think I mean I, to be honest I think well, it's got the point because it's a single player game it's one of those games where you play it and you might not play it again but where something like PUBG is something that was, is going to be a constant it's going to be constantly on your playlist if, if you're into it it's going to be one of those games that you keep going and it's going to be constantly in your mind yeah I'm just looking at the list of games that came out this year and there's a lot of good games we got Neo anybody played that that was a great game is near Automata. Did that come out this year? Or was that last year? No, that was this year. Both for this year, yeah. Lots of confusion on those two. Oh, and of course we can't forget to mention that you know the Nintendo Switch and you know the Zelda game that came out this year was amazing. Breath of the Wild, come on. That was Yeah, I mean that's that's that's, that's definitely a contender. I can see that being a contender. So anyone have any personal picks? Anybody at all here? I'm still looking. I'm looking up and down this list at the minute and going, really? I thought that came out two years ago. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. That came out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really enjoyed that. You know, like the Wonder Boy remake. That was completely amazing. Uh, and I keep forgetting that it came out this year. But literally that Wonder Boy remaster, the, the Dragon's Trap remaster, that completely def- redefined my expectations of remasters. All of the every animation was frame for frame still in the same place but redone in an amazing new art style with amazing music did anyone else here play it or am i just going to say amazing a lot um i I, I actually didn't didn't play it because i wasn't actually a fan of the original (laughs) there you go but I mean, you, you you say that where all the animations are exactly the same just redone in hd and all that but that's been done before the the monkey island games I know, I know. And, and you know how with the Monkey Island games, you press a button and you can flick between them? Yeah. With uh, with this, it was done in a new art style. It was all hand-drawn. Uh, every single thing was. And when you press the button, a slider went across the screen from left to right or right to left, correcting it as it went along because every single thing was animated to a point. You know, they didn't change the hitboxes. They didn't change anything. And the game, the new game, the new visuals were actually more true to the hitboxes than the old one was, if that makes sense. The old one, yeah, you'd just swipe and hit the air or you'd be hovering in the air when you stand on the edge of something. And that wouldn't happen in the new one because they corrected all of that, which I think was truly amazing. And if you hammered the button to change between the two modes, you could break it on the screen and it would stay there. So the left-hand side of that line might be in old mode and the right-hand side might be in new mode and you could see things cross over between them. That's kind of cool. That is. And they added in uh, bonus zones for each of the characters as well, which were like challenge modes. Uh, And some of their redesigns actually indicated where the hidden doors were that literally I had played through the first game and not known those hidden doors were there because there was no clue, you know. But you could you could see them in this new one if you wanted to. Uh, that was so cool. And the music was all actually played by live live back like like French platformers. Uh, I, I I don't know if that's a thing, but French platformers like uh, definitely Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends yeah. uh, have got absolutely amazing soundtracks where they just get some guy in who's like a pro oboe player and they get a pro violinist in and they just go make beautiful music, make it amazing. And so they do. And these musicians all perfectly remade. And I thought I was going to, I almost kind of feared that I was going to dislike them. Uh, these original songs that I, that I loved from my youth. One of my favorite games of all time is obviously inevitably going to become one of my games of the year as it were, but the the music is almost almost better there's there's a track of the music that they were using at the end of all of their trailers and it, it was better than that than the original music and the original music has so many memories for me that you know without sounding really sad i i, I get shudders every time i hear that new new version of the you know oh, 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 oh. that's awesome yeah. I, I love you, but I just don't think that's going to be game of the year. It's Actually, like just, of the year. just just to do a reverse segue, just for a second, back to the last uh, topic uh, you brought up the music there. Uh, just one thing I want to bring up is obviously they've re, re, re brought in these old zones from the old games. The music has been redone, but it 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 kind of works in the same way that as as the level evolves, the music evolves as well. 
So at the beginning of Green Hill Zone, it sounds pretty much exactly like it did on the Mega Drive. Obviously slightly better quality because we can, we can do that now and we're not relying on the, the Yamaha sound chip anymore. But as it goes through and you, you go, you start getting into Act 2 and things like that, it's it's worked into like a, a an up-tempo sort of remixed version of the original theme and it, and it sounds absolutely amazing. But that's the end of my segue, so we'll go back to the Game of the Year conversation. Well, my personal choice is, uh, is Breath of the Wild. I think that was an amazing game. We do still have a couple more games coming out later this year. We have Super Mario Odyssey coming out. Uh, that might 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 be an amazing game that no one knows about yet. Um, what else? We got Battlefront Two coming out. Still a couple more games coming out this year, but uh, it, all in all, it's been an interesting year for video games. It certainly has. It's been a very strong year thus far. So, Toby, what, what's your pick for game of the year, man? It's still got to be PUBG. I haven't really played <laughs> anything else that good this year. Maybe other stuff came out. But I haven't actually played it and just finesse the genre. It's massive. Enjoyable. I just really like it. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> I, I think it has it has done exactly that. It's finesse the genre. It's it's sold however many million versions. This this isn't some this isn't some blip that will be forgotten. It will be remembered as a trendsetter and an important turning point in that genre. There will be ideas from this, a bit like Minecraft, that will seep in and influence other games. We will see Ubisoft making games with elements from it in it. You know, like how we're seeing, you know, the big the big pirate movement that's coming up soon. And like how we saw crafting roll out into everything. It's hard to... It's going to be hard not to, when looking back at 2017, have lists topped with the new Mario game, the new Zelda game, and Player Unknown Battlegrounds, among other titles, obviously. Excellent. So with that, I think we'll uh, we'll move on. So the next topic up is uh, one for Toby, and this is Elon Musk's uh, recent AI. Yes. So this is the Open AI. OpenAI, AI that's just won a single-player battle of Dota 2 against the human champion. Human champion. <laughs> you puny humans. Hello there. And <laughs> representing the humans, it. it is the human champion. Oh, at this point, we're going to have to start saying that, really, because AI is getting near to that point that while the battle isn't Fully indicative, it's single one versus one, it's more focused towards getting perfect timings and such rather than a big five on five. It is still the that it's getting there and also that it's played for several lifetimes. This bot has just played against itself for several lifetimes. And the ability to have AI learn from itself in that manner, that it's gonna start spring to other games and that you can have an AI that humans do not understand. And it's coming from gaming. Something's yeah. very interesting that could gaming signal the end of the world, possibly? <laughs> I don't think yes. it'll get that that far. I don't think it will go that far, to be honest. Because it, in this situation, the AI is completely, you know, just cause just controlling a game. But I I, I do see a, a an application of this where, you know, you could use a bot for quality control on a game or even just... You know, for you know, for for games that are running in you know the esports realm, um, just seeing what a computer does and 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 taking that data and and using it to develop new tactics and things, because like like what you said, that you know, it's not human. It's it's going to be able to do stuff that humans technically might be able to do but haven't thought of. And I think it, yeah. it could become almost like a training thing. So here's a new game. We're going to chuck a couple of bots in it, let them play it for a few lifetimes, and then just go, oh, well, it can do that. That's that's quite cool. We didn't design the game to do that, but it's it's done it. That's that's awesome. And then a human can take that and, and I, I don't it. know. I don't know about, you know, AIs ending the world, but I think MOBAs have been a sign of the apocalypse for a long time. <laughs> if you see the people who play those games, they're just vile human beings. I'm I'm not making any friends here today. I know that, but just... <laughs> <laughs> I just... Oh, come on. Everybody knows that there's just... It's a vile community sometimes. There's just a lot of yeah. just spiteful, just putrid things that come out of these people's mouths. To be honest, I don't think that's 
specifically a, a, an esports slash Dota thing. I think that's more just young people basically becoming famous thing, and they just get that in that over inflated sense of uh, importance. I don't think it has anything to do with it. I think people are just been vile in general when it comes to that type of game. Mm, they are not. They don't create a good player interaction. So yeah, AI will not take over the world. I think we're yeah. just going to blow each other up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean to be honest, the, the people who do play esports professionally, I mean, I, I suppose yes, like a real sport, you have to take it seriously. But when it comes to gaming. Surely it's something you, you do for fun. If you start taking it too seriously, surely it then sucks the fun out of it. And how? I, w- I mean, I wouldn't be able to play a game in an esports situation because it would just wouldn't be fun. It would be a job at that point. But AIs can't have fun, Terry. Well, that's true. Maybe we should just get rid of humans playing games completely in esports and just have bots against bots. It would probably be much more entertaining to watch. That's a really good point, actually. That's a re- Did anybody follow the Civilization match between all of the AIs? I saw I remember... about that a while ago. I yeah, I remember it, it took yeah. forever. <laughs> yeah, they had problems, but that was, that was really good, actually. That was really interesting to see how it turned out. And I, I actually quite enjoyed watching i think i enjoyed watching that more than i would have enjoyed reading an after action report from a bunch of human players although i've not seen something <laughs> organized but but it is sometimes interesting to see how ai plays out against each other although not necessarily if they have the power to destroy the world yeah because like how i was about? saying you'll, you'll see them doing stuff that you would never have thought of and i think that's a, a good application for it we have ai's play matches the whole of the human population to watch, and then the losing AI get its gets its code wiped. Survival all... of the yeah. Oh, so so a so kind of a new twenty first century gladiatorial combat kind of thing. Yeah. Loser Bring dies. Sports. Well, in it'd the be, form of AI. It'd be code yeah. sports. That sounds mean. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of wondering why AI is going to suddenly rebel against us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell but me, then, you're causing the end of the world right there. <laughs> but then, like less, less than seven minutes on the topic now, and, and Toby's like, we should make them fight to the death. <laughs> yeah, but, what I'm saying, but in that situation, would you create the AI uh, in such a way that it understands that if it loses, it would die? <laughs> it, it, it would knows make that, it very interesting. It knows that losing in the game is bad, so hence it would have a concept of death in some form or manner. Yeah, I suppose there is that. But I, I, I'm really just have... in my head now. I've just got the image of of, of, of like a digital scream as it's deleted. <laughs> okay. it's like ah! that scene from 2001. Yeah, yeah, with it talking <laughs> and it slowly just towels off and yeah. gets slower and lower pitched. There's gonna be there's gonna be groups trying to save AIs now. I just see it now. Just signs, people holding signs outside the events. AI AI, AI is a people too. <laughs> I fight for AI rights. You monsters, you monsters. It'll get to that point, though. I guarantee you it'll get to that point. I don't want to be any part of this. (laughs) (laughs) But no, what I thought was interesting was what uh, was Terry bringing up was the idea of kind of like using it as a coaching tool. I think that's actually a really good idea is kind of watching what what an AI would do and then kind of like following up and say, hey, do this better. This is what the AI did. Maybe we could try this tactic. I think that's kind of actually a really interesting idea. And that has applications for more than just gaming beyond just that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's already happened. Like a guy called, um, I don't know if you've heard of him, a guy called Seth Bling. He used to be a giant Minecrafter uh, YouTuber doing massive redstone creations. But he started to get into coding and programming and things. And he made a, a, a sort of a, a neural net based AI and just chucked it at Mario World. And over time, it learned how to do, you know, the levels pretty much perfectly. And he actually discovered um as a tiny skip that speedrunners then started to use in real life so it's already started to happen and this was a simple one that one guy made in his bedroom not a big massive company that's made this huge thing that's running on massive servers it was just literally an app that he built i do have to ask one question isn't elon musk doing important things what does he have the time for dota for i mean come on isn't this guy supposed it's to be time that? off <laughs> yeah well i mean I, I, suppose, I suppose in a way it's it's a safe environment for an ai to learn you know, decision making and and all that kind of stuff without it going. Oh, do I shoot the old woman or the young kid? 
we'll just chuck them at a video game instead. It's it's still going to learn skills that will be able to be reused in other situations. He, uh, he mains Soldier 76 in uh, Overwatch, just in case anybody cared. Oh, does he? Yeah, he does, yeah. Which, uh, yeah. yeah. He's laughing his butt with $100 bills, I'm sure he does. When you say he mains, do you mean his AI mains Soldier no, 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 76 no, no, no. <laughs> in Overwatch? But that, that's a good point. He could just set that off and, hey, I keep winning. That's weird. I mean, my, my closing point, my closing remark on this outstanding conversation that I do hope will continue to come up is that 15 or 20 years ago if I lost a game I'd accuse the computer of cheating because the computer knew all of the rules right they were coded to know, to know what the wind conditions are there's no reason why somebody couldn't build a an AI opposition that could yeah. just go right and that's it I win you know and just like wipe everything on the board so it's really fascinating that we're teaching AI to play within the rules to the best of their capacity, rather than just saying, you know what, these are the wind conditions and this is how people normally play learn. And it's not cheating, if that makes sense. My final thing I want to contribute then is a, a Matthew Broderick movie. Anybody remember War Games? Anybody? Yeah. That's all. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. That's all I'm going to bring forward. That, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> To be honest, at the moment, we've got more of a chance of uh, a terrible human being <laughs> pushing the nuclear war button than, a, than an AI. Oh, my politics klaxon broke. <laughs> I was meant to politics klaxon over that. Oh, no, 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 no politics. This is all about gaming, please. Yeah. Right. Okay. So uh, next up, apparently George is not a chipmunk, which is a good fact to know. Um, or but, am I? Oh, oh, that that'll have to come off on a on a future podcast. So we've got Dan talking about uh, a greater than observer underscore. Yes, <laughs> it it ties in quite well actually to the AI conversation and the fact that we're talking about computer games as well because basically this is set in the relatively near future, uh, i.e., some of the characters that are turning up dead are born in kind of 2055 etc so this is born at the end of this century there's been a horrible disaster a lot of people were chilling out in full immersion computer games and such and then there was a big war and yada 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 it's the future cyberpunk a lot of there's a lot of modern day tech there so they're they're kind of there's kind of modern day looking cars modern day looking crt TV screens, but there's this kind of big high tech theme running through it as well, because it is very close to cyberpunk, but it's a, it's a dark and a gritty and a messy and a bloody one, which ties into obviously Bloober Team's previous releases, which were, I can't remember what they're called now. What was the series called? They made two of them. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm going to have to look this up now. Either way, so... They, they are known for their jump scares. They are known for making cinematic games with strong narratives that are very leading. And that works quite well in this setting because it's it's an unknown setting, just like a kind of horror setting. And you go through these kind of, you go through a claustrophobic apartment block and you're trying to investigate what's happened to your son. And basically you find a body and then you find another body and another body and the plot thickens. And you're actually doing pretty close to detective work you're interrogating people albeit you're doing this by diving into their minds using your weird snake skull drill thing and yeah you're interrogating people you're finding clues which you do with a kind of like detective view you've got two different scanners one which can read chemicals and one which can read objects and find out information on them it's quite an interesting it's a really interesting setting and a really interesting bunch of abilities i suppose that you've got although i wouldn't call them abilities because you don't unlock them per se but and and it's something that i hope that they explore again what i would say is i'm not particularly comfortable with jump scares i it wasn't a game that i was looking forward to getting especially because i heard that with the previous game that they'd made they had a habit of leading you down a corridor oh no the door is locked and as you turn around it goes and somebody you know appears directly next to you and yeah they they do that a lot in this game and yeah i spent a lot of time walking through doors deliberately looking at the floor knowing that if i turn around sideways i can't actually see what they're trying to get me to look at etc so i did play it like a little coward but then there was a point probably about third of the way through the game 
where the game actually killed me. Uh, something came out of somewhere, grabbed me and killed me, was right up in my face, and that's it. I was dead. And all of a sudden, it all kind of it, it lost its power over me, if that makes sense. It broke the the fear of, oh, my God, something's going to kill me because something actually did just come out and kill me. And and so, so yeah, it kind of lost its fear over me. So dying actually just made the game not as exciting? Yeah, not as scary, not as tense. I mean, it's still it's still got a nice tense vibe to it. When you're exploring these claustrophobic hallways and going through this apartment block that used to be a normal, like, modern-day apartment block, and they've blown through walls to make new corridors and bolted on these big electric doors as they've modernised what remains of these buildings, you know, that feels tense. And sometimes people talk to you from behind these doors and, and sometimes you know, robots or something bursts out, kind of burst out and move around. But but once it had killed me, at least, you know, the kind of like, oh no, something's going to grab me and kill me effect was was gone because I knew that actually, you know, that's not really that much of a punishment. It's just going to send me back to a checkpoint. And it kind of lost that, lost that immersion at that point. I can't think of any other games where that's happened. Uh, but then I don't play very many horror games. I've got to admit. Was the story good? I mean, how did it was? I mean, spoiled. I mean, was it good? Or was it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was all a bit weird uh, because, like I said, you're tracking down your son, and it's very much like I said, detective work. You go somewhere, you you find a body, you jack into it. I suppose jacking into it's probably the best term. And depending on <laughs> depending on how kind of drug adult they were or how horrible their death was or if they're a willing participant you have experiences that are either the first one is completely nuts it's like literally walls being torn away from you walk up to a glass window and a bird just flies smashes into it you know and 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 random screaming people and you being chased for a prison and all sorts of bloody horrible things but then later ones are quite a relatively peaceful and you you kind of you break the rules of the of the mind police by jacking into a corpse because you're so desperate to find your son, which is very hard to believe because Rutger Hauer's acting feels, you know, he's got quite a gruff voice and quite a emotionless voice anyway, and 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 sometimes he really does feel like he's just reading off a sheet of paper. But but no, I thought the story was good. I thought the I thought the setting, like I said, was amazing. They they play a lot with symbology which is really really good like all the way through the first bit of the game there's dvds and books and tapes about the genophage which is this virus that gets into people's chips because 99 percent of what's left of humanity have implants and it turns them mad and evil and it can infect other people from being near them and then there's also loads of stuff that's like anti-establishment because there aren't business there aren't governments now there's just businesses and then there's also loads of stuff about werewolves, like loads and loads of stuff about werewolves. So it's almost impossible to not think, well, what if it's like a werewolf then? And you start seeing things moving out of the corner of your eye that are big and hulking and you're like, it's a werewolf, isn't it? And then, you know, and it actually, it does, it does a really good job of, of leading you to believe things. And while I don't really like games that that try and try and come across like they are controlling the situation and they know more than you, I, I I do think that the team did a really good job with this one. And like I said, right up until I got killed, I was you know looking at the floor as I rounded corners, and you know I was playing it really carefully and thoroughly. But but yeah, once once they killed me, that that kind of fear did shake. But yeah, the, the the setting was brilliant, and and visuals were beautiful, and yeah, it's interesting. I hope they make more. That's one thing I have to say. I, it it sounds really cool, but I think cyberpunk as a genre has yet to have a really really good game yet. Uh, kind of one that kind of like picked up and everyone's played. I I want to see that happen for there to be a, a cyberpunk game that just really blows our minds. Well, Project Red. Uh, or CD Projekt Red are working on their next game, which is Cyberpunk 2077, which is obviously a similar time frame. Although I believe it's a completely, completely different. You know, it's complete. Both of them are unrelated to William Gibson. Both of them are inventions of of different places. Uh, Mike Pondsmith, I believe, came up with 
Cyberpunk 2077, and I think the other one was completely come up with by Blueber team. Obviously, because it's CD Projekt Red who have done amazing things and are very, very consistent, I'm expecting Cyberpunk 2077, which is due to launch probably just before 2077, knowing how much they've shown off. But yeah, I, I do think that Cyberpunk 2077, when it launches, could really be that breakthrough, and we could see a big interest in sci-fi because when when times are tough geopolitically uh, people do turn to science fiction a lot as well so we are on the cusp of a lot of science fiction stuff i mean the films are already there aren't they and we're starting to see it in tv shows as well uh and as this kind of current surge of superhero films ends we'll see even more science fiction stuff and, and i think games will follow and hopefully there'll be some cyberpunk stuff as well because they can be really interesting games it's a really good setting oh heck yeah i completely agree the game name that i was trying to think of the series name was layers of fear oh that yeah that weird game i played that for about 10 minutes and then went nope <laughs> just turned it off i'm guessing you stopped for similar reasons to the reason i yeah, really to be honest, didn't want to pick up the game yeah it's creepy games just i mean i stopped playing amnesia before i even saw a monster just because the atmosphere of that game is intense <laughs> and i just couldn't take it i can't do scary games so will we be seeing a review on the website for this game dan yeah the review is probably about 90 percent written up i've got to get a couple of more screenshots for it and transfer it over to the site I'd imagine it will probably be up next week. If not that, then early the week after. So before September, one should think. Awesome, awesome. Look forward to reading it. Indeed. And with that, I think that heralds the end of this week's Big Boss Babble podcast. So I'd like to thank the members of uh, B3 that have joined us this week. So thank you, Dan. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> thank you, George. You're welcome, I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to Toby. Thank you. Good night. Yes. So it's goodbye from all of us, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>